0: Welcome to Civil Ish, the show about respecting the differences. Today we have another fantastic conversation. We're going to talk to Nicole Reet over at Peace Catalyst International. We're going to talk about peace. Is it possible? And what does it look like? Join me in this great conversation. Welcome to Civil Ish, the program about respecting the differences. Today, I'm so excited to have Nicole Reitz on the show. She is the program director over at Peace Catalyst International. Nicole, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Hey, Johnny. Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Let's just go ahead and start off right away. My first question that I always like to ask is, who are you? What makes you, you?
1: Yeah, i am a peacemaker that's the primary identity that i enjoy i'm also program director at peace catalyst based in san diego we envision local movements of muslims and christians around the world living in peace and collaborating with neighbors to create safe just and vibrant communities i'm originally from wisconsin I have fond memories of growing up in a church plant of the largest evangelical church there. I also got my undergrad at Bethel University in social work and reconciliation studies, and that's actually the first time where I met a Muslim. He was a Somali man, and I did my senior year social work internship with a refugee resettlement organization. And so it was humanizing to put a face to stories that I heard in the news about Muslims leading up until that point. I went on to complete graduate work at Fuller Theological Seminary. I got my Master's of Divinity out in Pasadena, California, and emphasized Christian-Muslim relations throughout my studies I was involved in a Christian-Muslim peace-building network in that community called Two Faiths, One Friendship. And it was there when Muslims finally became true friends. Um, So that was in my mid-20s. And that broke down a lot of the stereotypes that I personally held. And um, those friends continue um, to this day. So following seminary, I, I spent a couple years in India as director of programs and partnerships for a sport and peace building nonprofit. And um, after a few years, came back to California and find myself at Peace Catalyst. So glad to be here with you.
0: Well, that's quite the background. What draws you to this type of work? What draws you to the nonprofit world where you... This is your calling now, it seems, to be a peacemaker. Why?
1: Mm, That's a good question. I think I, I like teamwork and also like doing things that feel meaningful. I appreciated your conversation with Marcy in the last podcast about living with a sense of purpose. And so key mentors during my college years were nonprofit founders And so I stepped into the nonprofit world directly after college and basically never left.
0: (laughs) Okay. In one way you fell into your calling, you fell into your purpose. Is that?
1: Yeah, I guess, I guess you could say that it started off with good intentions and then relationships. And from there I found that I came alive in that space, so I stuck with it.
0: No, that's fantastic. Uh, I have somebody in my life that fell into their purpose, and I'm jealous hmm. of them because they kind of fell into it. No, that's great. I'm glad that you did.
1: I guess that doesn't always happen for people, no, huh? not
0: always. Not always. I want to go back to what you said about peace. You said you were a peacemaker. What is peace? Could you define that a little
1: Hmm, that's a big question. <laughs> and I think sometimes it can be an elusive concept, peace. Uh, I think when I, when I think about peace and ask others the same question, what often comes to people's minds is an idea of tranquility or calmness. People think of like an escape from the busyness of the real world uh, when they go to a cabin in the woods or go to the beach and enjoy the quiet of the waves But I found that sustainable peace and systemic peace goes so much deeper than that. One of the metaphors that has most resonated with me as I've engaged peacemaking over these past years is from Jer Swigert and John Huckins in their book, Mending the Divides. They're both theologians and peacemakers, and they use this metaphor of kintsugi when speaking of peace. Kintsugi is an ancient Japanese pottery tradition where a clay vessel is broken and then put back together, but it's not put back together in its original form. Instead, the restoration process uses pure gold to mend together the pieces and so the process actually makes the vessel stronger and more beautiful than before. You can look it up online. It's beautiful with gold little lines throughout the whole vessel. And here, this quote unquote scars aren't ignored or painted over or covered up, but instead they're emphasized and they embody a story of brokenness and restoration that includes healing. So I appreciate their definition of peace being holistic repair of severed relationships. But the question I was left with is how do we know when we've experienced peace? And as I thought about what, like even the hints of peace, how do we know when we've tasted it? And I think, what I've come to is when relationships are stronger, or at least as strong as when they were before the conflict happened, and at least as beautiful or mu- or more beautiful than they were before the conflict or the brokenness. That's when we've experienced true peace.
0: That's a pretty fascinating concept that you've mentioned. I was talking recently with a, f- a couple of other people about the positive side of peace and the negative side of peace the po- the negative side mm. being the absence of something and that as you were just talking about is what we generally think about with peace the absence of absence of conflict the absence of right. brokenness i think you're getting at or even absence the, of violence the absence of violence i think you're getting at the positive side of peace adding things into it rather than just being absent with or absent of these things.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes if, if you don't think of the presence of depth and connection and uh, vulnerability and hope, then even the word peace has kind of a hollow feeling to it. Uh, John Paul Lederach talks about he's an international peacemaking guru and he talks about how when you can imagine yourself being in relationship with your enemy, that that sets up the stage for true peace to be made in time. But if you can't even imagine yourself to be in connection or somehow tied to, the future of your enemy and your children living with their children, then there, there's not a possibility for life without violence.
0: That's a very high standard.
1: I know. And so hard to get there, too.
0: I appreciate that. My next question is it possible?
1: Is it possible? It is. It, it is possible, but it's not easy, and it doesn't happen in especially with these long-term conflicts that we think of, like Israel-Palestine, or um, even on a personal level. I'm sure all of us can think of family conflicts that have just stretched out years after year, year after year, and they peace does not happen in a moment. It's more built up over time. So. I'd love to share a story with you from uh, my colleague, Martin in Louisville, and he talks about how peace has ripple effects, and one creative peace act can spark other creative peace acts that even go not just person to person, but city to city, and sometimes even internationally. Martin hosted his first Muslim Christian dinner in Louisville in 2012 with only 17 people. It was a very small event. He hosted it at a Palestinian restaurant, and the owner's name was Sami. And over the years, Martin connected with the larger Muslim community in Louisville, bringing Christians to local mosques um, to visit, maybe for their first time, hosting more dinners so Christians and Muslims could connect. And a couple years later, in 2015, one of the participating mosques that they had built relationships with was vandalized. And the mayor, police chief, politicians all showed up at a press conference in solidarity with that mosque and showed their support. My colleague Martin was also there, and he spoke to the press and shared how the specific Muslim community had quietly, without Bringing attention to themselves, bought over 300 of the city's firefighters and policemen lunches um, just a couple weeks prior to that to honor their service at the mayor's 9 11 memorial. And when a tornado had destroyed a nearby community of this particular community, um, the Muslim, Muslims in, in the city had been the first among them to volunteer in, um, to help clean up and they raised along with that $20,000 to buy school supplies for the area's children. So they really showed up to help people who were outside of their faith tradition. And the next day after that press conference, nearly a thousand people showed up from the local community in Louisville to paint over the graffiti at this mosque. And there, there wasn't even enough graffiti for everyone to be able to paint to paint over it and one of the Pakistani leaders following this, this event this experience he used the event to write up an op-ed that appeared in an English paper in Pakistan the lar- the largest English paper that existed at the time in Pakistan and the op-ed was entitled would we have done any better and he said that when his muslim minority community was attacked in louisville the city rallied around to their defense to protect them And he then challenged his own religious community and the government of Pakistan to protect religious minorities. So a cool story of how ripple effects from a few different events can expand out um, to have larger implications.
0: And I always love those types of stories. But one of the things that I'm thinking about are the competing truth claims that are behind each one of these communities because Mm. they are competing. They don't,
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If you, how did those truth claims come together and work together, or does one side ha- necessarily have to capitulate?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's often a question that comes up specifically for the evangelical Christian community. And I'll say also the Muslim community. We both are, both of our faiths have exclusive truth claims. And so in peacemaking, The heart of it is you don't have to give up um, any of your truth claims in order to love others. Um, The founder, one of the co-founders of Peace Catalyst, Rick Love, uh, he would often say that you can hold exclusive truth claims and inclusive love aims. And so you don't have to let go of part of who you are in order to show up and love your neighbor. So, But that is a tension that I recognize people experience, especially when they engage in uncommon friendships with people they haven't engaged with before, especially when the friendships are new. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. This reminds me of something that Francis Schaeffer, the theologian, wrote about in his idea of co-belligerence. I was fascinated Mm -hmm. by this because I know there are plenty of people that Churches or mosques cannot sit down and have communion together. I'm not sure what the Mm -hmm. Muslim counterpart to that is, but they can't necessarily have communion together, but they can fight for other issues at the same time. For instance, of course, Mm -hmm. Muslims and Christians can come and fight for religious freedom together. No, Mm
1: -hmm. I can say
0: they can. I don't know if they
1: will. There's this fear often of compromising your own beliefs that people have. Yeah, and what I've what I've seen and heard from Christians who have chosen to hang out with Muslims or to visit a mosque, to step into a mosque for the first time, or the opposite for a Muslim to step into a church for the first time. There often is this fear of am I offending God? It goes that deep. And it goes, I've heard Muslims say the same thing that they fear, am I offending God stepping into a church? So I think we can relate on this vulnerable feeling of, and almost motivation of wanting to honor God in our actions and And maybe that can even be a place where we connect if we can find a safe place to talk about it. And so that Peace Catalyst exists in order to create these kinds of safe safe spaces for Muslims and Christians to get together and process what's coming up for them as they're spending time together and even thinking about maybe setting aside competing views of theology in order to serve their communities together, and I will say that of the Christians who I've seen do this um, and talked, heard their processing as they've been a part of hanging out with Muslims for a couple years, they've all voiced to me that they've grown in their faith and their sense of closeness with God because of hanging out with Muslims and having honest conversations and seeing what they're thinking of how Muslims are processing these real cultural topics of what justice looks like and how we make our school systems better and um, what it looks like to care for our environment. How do we do that from a faith-based perspective? Christians and Muslims absolutely have connected deeply on those things.
0: You've made me think of two different things here. Let me see if I can remember them. The first one is this. Is this just a ploy for evangelism?
1: (laughs) such a good question. And I, you make me think of president, our, our, again, I'm going to quote Rick Lev again, our, our former president, late president and co-founder. He has traveled the world and talked with imams. And there's this question of evangelism in the back of every, most Christians and Muslims minds of what, what's the motivation of the other person in connecting with me. And so, and For evangelical Christians, oftentimes or sometimes I'll say this value for evangelism is very high. And so what Rick likes to do is when he meets an imam for the first time, he says, Hello, my name's Rick, or Salamu Alaikum, peace be upon you, my name's Rick. And I recognize that we each have this desire to convert one another. And that's okay. So now that we've acknowledged that, can we move on to working for the common good? And so he, he acknowledges what is and then transitions to talk about meaningful conversations. So at Peace Catalyst, we recognize this desire, especially among um, our evangelical brothers and sisters of wanting to be a strong witness to who Jesus is. And we try to help our friends to expand their idea, expand our idea in the process of what it means to follow God on mission. And what does God's mission of restoration look like apart from expanding Christianity as an institution? How is God moving throughout the whole world? And how might our Muslim brothers and sisters be participating in that? And how might we join them? So it's not, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of an adventure to explore that question. But I often go back to the person of Jesus. How do we center and follow the person of Jesus and his teachings uh, as we engage our Muslim friends?
0: Hmm, a lot to think about. There. What do you think, honey? I'd was, I was say there's a lot to think about. There is what I'm thinking about,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the other thing is some of the things that you were mentioning makes me wonder if there is a evangelical liberal progressive Christian divide in the people you work with.
1: Mm. Yeah, <laughs> there is. Yeah. I think again, we, as an organization, we have our roots in evangelical Christianity, a more conservative evangelical Christianity. And as But as an organization, we don't stick to that group of people. Instead, we want to be Jesus-centric in the sense of creating, again, safe spaces, even for the Christian community who hold various perspectives theologically, to be able to come together and listen to one another and respect one another and talk honestly about how we follow Jesus in a world that's so divided, both within Christianity between multiple religions, and um, yeah, and the other divides that, that we're seeing in the world right now. But unless we create spaces for us to come together and engage honestly and respectfully, um, there's not a path forward to peace. We need spaces to be able to reimagine what, what thriving can look like for us as a whole community and not just for our own tribe.
0: I like that you're creating safe spaces for discussion, and I feel that actually gets that to what I'm trying to do on this podcast. So that's fantastic.
1: It even reminds me back to your first episode with Jonathan, how you talked about um, something about wanting to connect or to stop the us versus them divide, but make it just us.
0: Yeah. If that isn't more pertinent than ever, I don't know what is. Yeah. I have another question for you. What kind of quote-unquote good Muslim and what kind of quote-unquote good Christian does it take to make this
1: work? Yeah, it thanks for that question. Uh, I think it's easy to talk about each other's faith communities rather than to each other's faith communities. So, within even going back to just Christians. It's easy for t- conservative Christians to talk to other conservative Christians about how frustrated they are with other liberal Christians or vice versa. And it's easy for Muslims to talk with other Muslims about um, Christian how Christians may believe in three gods um, in reference to the Trinity. It's a lot harder and a lot more valuable and life-giving when done with patience and kindness to talk to each other's faith communities. And so a key trait that we see is a willingness to show up with each other and take a posture of vulnerability and curiosity. So one, one story or example of this is from San Diego, In early February, Peace Catalyst hosted a multi-faith event to meet Uyghurs and learn about what's happening to Uyghur people in northwest China called Listening, Learning, and Lamenting. Several Uyghur speakers shared about the plight of their people. Uyghurs are one of China's largest minority groups, and over one million people are currently in government-run concentration camps. The event took place at the largest mosque in San Diego, and over 150 attended from a few churches and mosques in the area. One Uyghur mother told her account of surviving one of the concentration camps. Her baby had died while she was incarcerated. It was heart-wrenching and tragic, and many Uyghurs following the event shared about their gratitude that they experienced such solidarity from the community. And so when I think about the power of this event, I, I think about how, how the, this is what faithfulness looks like, or an example of what faithfulness looks like, and maybe what Jesus meant in an example is from scriptures, Matthew 25, when he said that when you visit those in prison, you visited him. And I can imagine Jesus saying, Imagine Jesus saying after this event, when you advocated for or supported family members or incarcerated individuals, you advocated for and supported me. So, this is what we envision for Jesus centered peacemaking.
0: One of the things that I took away there is you talked about the vulnerability, the openness to be able to do that. And like Jonathan over at Rise Up, the guys have to have that epiphany moment where they want to be open to change. Hmm. And yours is much the same. Yeah.
1: There is definitely a need for openness. Otherwise, our defenses are up and we're not able to hear each other.
0: Yes. That last thing you said also was about if you visit the li- one of these in prison so that goes Mm -hmm. for somebody who's not of the same faith even if they're muslim
1: right right it doesn't only apply to our own faith group so true
0: what i'm getting is it takes openness vulnerability and time to see past the stereotypes that we have of one another
1: yeah time Mm mm-hmm Yeah, because if we don't make it a priority, life gets busy and we, even on news, the kind of news that we listen to, we like to hear things that affirm what we believe, yet that doesn't help heal the deepening divides that we're experiencing. So what does it look like to maybe slow down and step back and listen to a a bit more variety of sources, talk with people in our local communities. Most people have a local mosque in their community, um, or a coworker who's Muslim, or even beyond faith, someone who holds a different political perspective than, than they do, and ask them a vulnerable, honest question, not for the purpose of being able to conquer their perspective or sway them to your perspective, but simply to understand it definitely takes time.
0: That is absolutely fantastic. I appreciate that you said that because it's absolutely what I want to accomplish here. It's the same thing.
1: You're doing that, Johnny. <laughs> we are. I guess.
0: Well, we've had a fantastic conversation today and I want to give you the last opportunity to say anything you want and how people can contact your organization or get in cut or be a part of this movement.
1: Oh, thanks for asking that. You can visit our website if you're interested in engaging or seeing what work we're doing in your city. Peacecatalyst.org is our site. We also have a blog on there where you can read more stories about Muslim Christian peacemaking, community service, and activism work. I think that's about it. Thanks, Johnny.
0: Well, thank you so much, Nicole, for being here today. We've been talking to Nicole Reitz, Program Director at Peace Catalyst International, where she's working on peace between Muslims and Christians. Thank you so much. Wasn't that a good conversation? I told you it would be. Thank you, Nicole, for being with me today. And don't forget to subscribe to Civil-ish